This is Coda Radio, episode 109 for July 7th, 2014. Everyone and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, Chris. Hey, Mr. Dominic. How was your fourth? It was okay. How was yours? It was nice. You know, my town goes pretty crazy. It's uh, pretty hardcore into the fireworks. We have uh, a Native American reservation where it's one of their big industries is to make unregulated fireworks. <laughs> so the closer oh. you are to that uh, epicenter, the more crazy your fireworks go. So, like, we wake up the next morning, and there's a smoky haze all around our house and whatnot. But it's fun, and we barbecued and and, uh, and the like. So overall, a nice American-style 4th of July with lots of explosions Red meat and fire. So I hope everybody out there had a really good Fourth uh, of July. So, Mr. Dominic, what are we going to talk about today coming up on today's Coda Radio? What's the uh, agenda du jour? Well, I was thinking about talking about management. Dun, 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 that dirty, dirty word that yet is so, so necessary. Well, good, because we've also got some uh, great feedback from last week's episode. It seemed to get people thinking. Uh, and uh, why don't we start with Rust? In fact, Rusty Fox writes in and he says, uh, hello, Mike and Chris. I just thought I'd drop you a little more info on Rust as to make sure why it's clear and it's why it's interesting. Uh, since last week I dropped in the chat room, I gave you a little bit of info, but here's more. Uh, to borrow from the actual Rust site, Rust improves upon the idea of other system languages like C++ by providing guaranteed memory safety, no crashes, no data races, and complete control over the life cycle of memory. Strong memory guarantees make writing correct concurrent Rust code easier than in other languages. And he gives us a link to the Rust language site that has that. Uh, he says it's a very interesting. It has a very interesting take on pointers. There are three types, owned, reference, and shared pointers. They're quite complex, but there's a good overview, which he links us to if uh, anyone's interested. He says, the reason why pointers are done the way they are in Rust is that the compiler does a whole bunch of safety checks on them. So in Rust, the problem of dangling pointers, for example, simply doesn't exist. Basically, Rust is a language which provides GC language guarantees about memory without actually having a garbage collector limiting its usefulness of the application domain. Very cool. There's a lot more interesting stuff about Rust, but since Chris has requested shorter emails, I'm going to end it here. I hope some of you will check out Rust and help it out. It's an, with, help out with an amazing 1.0 release for Q4 of this year, and he includes links to doc.rust-lang.org if you guys are interested. So very cool. So thank you, uh, Rusty Fox, for sending in more info on that. And uh, it's not one that I follow very closely, but it sounds very interesting, and it, it definitely has a few folks in the community interested. So if you want to read more... Rusty Fox has hooked you guys up with some uh, recommended reading, so go check that out in the show notes. Not much really for us to follow up on, but it just kind of a follow-up for the general audience. Um, okay, so on your topic, to your point about having to choose uh, JavaScript, choose between JavaScript frameworks. Uh, uh, the topic that won't die. Right. Bruno, uh, he thinks maybe he has your solution. 
Uh, he says, this book came out a week after the discussion on episode 107 of Coda Radio from O'Reilly. He says, it brought a smile to his face. The book is called Choosing a JavaScript Framework. It's a book all about choosing a JavaScript framework <laughs> from O'Reilly. So it's like they were listening to the show and they're like, you know what, we better put this out. Because it's, it's an early release, they say. Raw and unedited. They were listening to Coda Radio, Mr. Dominic, and they said, you know, that Mike guy is onto something. We better get this out the door. And so a week after uh, 107, it's published. We'll have a link to this book in the show notes. I don't know. I don't know what it means when you buy. I guess a pre-release book means it could be subject to change. But since it's a yeah, new book, I, they'll just give I, you a new version. Like, how does that work? I bought a bunch of those. Basically, it's subject to change. It's kind of cool though because you get to see the author's edits and the publisher's edits as they go through. Oh, and do they just download like a new one to like if you have it on your Kindle? Do you just get the new version downloaded? I think you have to update it okay. manually. Yeah, you know what? Interesting enough. Uh, I think that's a uh, – hey, you could tell there's a need there. Uh, so you guys can get a link to that in the show notes if you want. Okay, I love our next email. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's uh, probably a few folks out there wanted this one. It comes from a bit puffin, Mr. Dominic, and this is where we're going to need to get your insights. So he says, hello, Mike and Chris. I love the show. It's awesome, yada, yada, yada. I work as a programmer for writing regular, uninteresting software, but on my spare time, I'm an independent game developer. Something I have noticed over the years is that I really don't like working in other people's ecosystems. I'm not sure why I can't just obey, but I guess I'm a control freak and I feel too constrained. So, for example, game engines. I can't stand any of them. So what I have decided to do is come up with my own solution. When I begin working on my own solution, I realize that the mainstream programming languages don't offer all the capabilities that I would like to have when designing my API. So I began looking at the most obscure and lesser-known programming languages, but none of them have everything I want and needed. And there's a lot of things I don't like about them. Suddenly I find myself going down the road of making my own personal programming language. So I wonder, am I downright crazy? Am I cray-cray crazy? Because the crazier part is I think I can do it, and it will help me be more productive in the end. I think possibly the reason people spend ages making their stupid language is that they are trying to appease everybody, so they have to invent a development process that isn't optimal for themselves but for the community. And they avoid breaking backwards compatibility because of the enormous bitchstorm that comes from people who don't know how to use said. Basically, the making, basically they are making a language for as many people as possible, whereas I am making a programming language for me, where I know how to fix something and I encounter a showstopper in the compiler. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I felt it, it, I felt it was a suitable response to episode 107, Cheers, Bitpuffin. So is he crazy for wanting to make his own game engines and his own programming language, Mr. Dominic? Have you ever... Been that crazy? Uh, I think we've all, you know, faced the temptation to roll our own every once in a while, right? Sure, yeah. Are you crazy? Eh, I mean, if you have a real deadline and you need to ship something, then yeah, you're a sick puppy. But if you, you know, if you're just learning, if this is kind of a, you know, what is it, the Google 20% time thing, if this is just like a learning exercise or just something to do, then... Why not? Is it like, uh, is it maybe more optimistic? You're a little being a little over-optimistic that it'll probably ever develop into something you'll be able to use in a large scale? Like, uh, I think of this as more like the real thing that you want to do is play with this stuff, and you keep coming up with ways to get yourself to play with this stuff. It's kind of what seems to be maybe Bitpuffin's going through. Do you think that's possible, or am I off the mark? It could be possible, yeah. I mean, he just, yeah, I mean, that, that would make a lot of sense. And I guess so. Don't don't overthink it. Don't uh, you know? Don't worry about you being crazy. But maybe acknowledge that the real fun you have is that stuff, 
and don't don't grade yourself on how much code you actually produce and how many projects you complete. Grade yourself on how much you enjoy working on that stuff. And as long as you're cool with that being your benchmark, I don't. I say have at it. Why not? What's the harm? It sounds like it's good fun. It sounds like it's a good learning resource. Uh, something you get to have on your own. Plus, probably in the process of designing something like your own language, you know, it'll give you insights into what you do and don't like about a lot of other languages. So it's a win-win, I think. You might be a little crazy, though, Bitpuffin, just a little bit. If nothing else, at least you're not crazy enough that you checked yourself, right? You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I could be getting crazy here. I better write the guys and see what Mike and Chris say because this sounds crazy, right? You're you're at least sane enough to make that step. Uh but you might be a little bit crazy now that now that I now that I've looked at it. Um, I tell you what else is crazy. Our first sponsor and you not taking advantage of it. That's crazy. Go over to LinuxAcademy.com/coders. They're sponsoring the Coder Radio program, and here's why I want you to go over there. Twenty percent off the life for your subscription, and once you get signed up for Linux Academy, you're never going to want to quit because they're adding new content, new courses all the time. They've always got new stuff up there, like AWS certified courses, OpenStack, virtualization, Linux basics, all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you a little bit about Linux Academy if you're not familiar. They have step-by-step video courses. You log in, you get access to just an incredible repository of information and training materials. They've built this system from the ground up to work with you. They have downloadable, comprehensive study guides that you can read offline, as well as audio and video clips that you can download and listen to like while you're driving, or Seth, like he does, if you or Seth listens in the shower. You can run any 7-plus Linux distributions. They'll automatically adjust the courseware, so that way it reflects the distribution you've chosen, which means you can really kind of explore out all the different Linuxes and really get a good feeling. If you know you're going to have to go into a job where you have to work on a Linux that you've never really done any spent any time with, this is a great way to sort of brush up in a safe environment. And one of the cool things they do is your courseware as you go along. Self-paced courseware where you get to quiz yourself, you get chapter recaps as you go. You know, the beginning, here's what you're going to learn at the end, here's what you should have learned, let's test you. You know, okay, here's my timing, here's how long it took, how long it's going to take me to get to the next segment, all of that stuff, which is awesome when you're doing self-paced learning. But what's so super cool is like in the courseware, if you get to a point where you need a virtual machine, you need to set something up because they have actual like real courseware, right? It comes with its own server. They'll spin up a virtual server on the back end, connect it to your session and make it all part of the courseware. It's so super transparent and awesome. And it gets even better when you're doing like, oh, I don't know, the AWS certified developer course or the hybrid technologies AWS course. Right, those kinds of things where you don't want to have to worry about the cost of S3. Well, guess what? Linux Academy is just going to spin up the VM for you. They're hosting it on a legitimate S3 infrastructure. That way, the deployments and scenarios that you're doing in your training are as actual legitimate as possible because you're doing it on the real stuff. They're just managing all the back end spinning up for you so that way you don't get stuck paying that bill while you're trying to learn. They got so many great courses over there. Go get a, just go get a taste. Go over to linuxacademy.com/coders to get started. Then uh, click on their uh, they have a series of links along the top of the site. Click on the Take the Tour site and just see a little bit of some of their stuff they have to offer. Just, you know, get an idea. Everything from BSD, AWS, LAMP stack, learning rsync, which could be great if you need to set up a backup on your web server, an introduction to VMware ESXi, Linux learning by example from novice to pro, OpenStack essentials, LPI certification exams, working with Nginx. It goes on and on. There's so many great resources over there, and you can see why you want to save 20%. So go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Take your skill set up a little bit at your own pace. When you feel like you have time, when you're ready to learn, and the great part is they're always adding new content, so if you feel like you've mastered something, just keep checking back. They've always got new stuff. linuxacademy.com. And a really big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, so... uh, 
I had uh, I had a couple of things I wanted to throw in your face, Mr. Dominic, but uh, why don't we start with our topic of the day of management and uh, go from there. I, I manage um, kind of like a, in a different way than I think is traditional. So I'm really curious to get your insight because I think the type of management that you're doing is maybe a little more traditional since you've got staff there and, and things like that. So I'm anticipating right. this. Tell me a little bit of what's on your mind. Well, it's funny because, you know, the more the more things grow and the more you have to change, I'm noticing that I'm doing a lot less of the down and dirty coding stuff and more of the, oh, look, it's Excel. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah. How is that transition going for you? It is going okay. Um, you know, like anything else, it is a transition, right? So... Get to a place where you—it's weird, right? Because sometimes, in, in a lot of respects, the management job is kind of easier, hmm. but it's also very hard, right? Because you can you can get to this point where you're, you know, you're being a tool and not helping anybody do anything, right? And you can become a dependency that holds things up, right? That's a common or, problem. At some point, if you're doing a lot of things yourself, then why have staff? Right. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. I mean, don't you also think like some of the things that management ends up having to deal with are stuff that like are just really nitty gritty business stuff that if you're not yeah. one of the people in the ownership position, like you almost just wouldn't ever really have the motivation to do that kind of stuff. So you almost by, by default get forced into doing some of that oh, stuff. Oh, are you talking about like the tax stuff? Yeah, exactly. And the financials yeah. and all that kind of just the really junky stuff. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's incredibly time consuming, especially dealing with let's say e- even the county, right? To have an office just in a town, mm-hmm. it's in itself a burden. Tedious. All of it's yeah. so tedious. Yeah, it, it, there's all these little silly things, right? Oh, parking coordinates. You gotta. I I don't even want to get into that stuff. But I was also thinking along the lines of. So, you know, you hear a lot about people who go into management complain, or maybe complain is too strong, but. They say they feel like they're getting too far from the code, right? Sure, yeah. And I was wondering, you know, on your end, do you feel like you've gotten a little bit away from the tech itself? Oh, interesting question. Um, it can, ha- you know, it's funny. Um, it, it can happen. Uh, definitely, there be, there'll be weeks where I kind of end up getting sort of pulled away from really digging into the tech, and then it, that usually ends up catching up with me a couple of weeks into it, like where I don't have an ebb and flow of content that I'm generating for the shows, so then I all of a sudden, in a week or two, I'll have a dry patch. Uh, so that is a problem. Uh, I kind of have structured it so that way I sort of dedicate myself time towards the end of the week to really kind of have a couple of days where I can really dig into stuff and really kind of immerse myself, so that way by the time the Linux Action Show hits on Sunday, I've sort of been living deep for a few days again. Um, and it depends on my workload, of course. That It is a problem. I definitely feel like... Uh, I got an email um, while I was away for a couple of days last week, and it was from an old client of mine, a good client, and they're nearby my house, and it was one of those, hey, I have an emergency dental thing. I've got to leave the office right now. Can you come down and cover for a couple of hours? And, of course, I couldn't. I was out of town, and I wouldn't normally anyways. I don't have time anymore, but that wasn't actually my first thought. My first thought was, is, hmm, I, don't, I, wonder, I wonder how I would do with that. I haven't done that in a long time now. Like the actual like go, I think I could get like the whole employee relations and and customer relationship management. I think I would just 
slide right back into that, no problem, and be able to you know troubleshoot with users and stuff. But the actual technical, like system administration stuff, I feel like I would be a little rusty at it because now what I focus on is less about like building server infrastructure, setting up Apache servers and Nginx servers and managing MySQL and making sure the backups run. Now it's more like, well, we need this big pool of network storage to hold these recordings or this, these systems need to be in a RAID array for performance or we have to rebuild this box. It's much more, much more focused on the production end of things and much less on the uh, enterprise-grade troubleshooting, deployment, and management. And I do feel like the longer I, I do more of, of the broadcasting and then the management of the broadcasting, the less and less I am sort of flexing that muscle, I guess is the way to put it. Do you follow what I'm saying there? It almost feels like a muscle in yeah. a way. Yeah, it feels like a muscle, and it feels like you're, you're, you're not exercising. It's like you're going atrophy, basically. Yeah, yeah, I do worry about it a little bit. I, I, I assume I would pick it back up pretty quick. Like it would be like riding a bike. I don't know if that's true or not, though. Totally, because technology changes a lot in the meantime. Especially, mm. it's funny because like the server space, you don't think of it as changing, but if you go away for a couple of years and come back, you know there can be huge fundamental shifts in how people are doing things. And uh, I, 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 uh, gosh, it's, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. I believe the longer I do this, the less chance I have at ever going back to the old job. Like, I couldn't, like, it's becoming pretty much now not a backup plan anymore. Because I'm, I've let those, you know, those contacts sort of, they've not died, but by now they've found other people to fill those needs. So my old contacts probably have new IT contractors that are fulfilling their needs. My skill set isn't super fresh, uh, and I'm not out there building referrals either. So I don't, I don't see myself ever going back. Basically, I'm, I'm kind of going in one direction, and there's some good things about that direction overall. But there is one bad thing, and is that yeah, I don't think I'm as I'm going to be as employable in that particular field anymore. And I, I wonder if it's kind of the same thing for you. It's like building a, a, a management skill set of a development shop is probably extremely valuable, but you're not going to make a great developer one day after a certain amount of time. Are you worried about that? Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I guess after a long time, and if you you know almost went out of your way to avoid doing any dev, then that could happen. Yeah. But I mean, right now I'm still doing you know tons of dev. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm still doing forty hours a week of programming too. Yeah. But it's you know it's certainly interesting. You know, for instance, I'm doing a lot more, um, I would say, cross-platform on Android than anything else. Whereas before, I was doing all iOS, right? All so Mac. Are you all. kind of are you kind of worried that means maybe it's the same thing only applied to iOS development? Like you're going to kind of fade away there during a, like a technology shift where they're rolling out Swift, Metal, iOS eight. You know, again, I, I I don't think this is something that can happen that quickly. I think it takes years. Years, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. But what's really interesting to me is, you know, the skill set you develop as a dev. How well does that transfer over to management, right? Mm. And I would argue that it doesn't. At least uh -huh. not well. Interesting. Yeah, I, I could see that. Maybe uh, a few things. Maybe a few things. Like if maybe like some project management stuff, right? Well, I'll give you a great um, a, a great example, right? Okay. 
as a dev, you 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 hit a problem, you might be tempted to pull the all night or just you know get her done, right? Sure, yeah. Well, again, it, as you go into management, sure you can do that, but you've now failed as a manager, right? Because every time you personally do something, that's an opportunity your team didn't get to to kind of grow and you know develop themselves. Hmm. Again, it's a balancing act, right? You can't just chill, eat Cheetos, and say, you know, do nothing. Right, especially when you're at a small stage where it's kind of right. early and, like, you know, you don't have maybe all of the people you need. That's definitely something we struggle with. Exactly. So, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just one of those things where uh, you get you get stuck doing a job as management because there's really nobody else to do it. And then you have the opposite end of the problem, obviously, where you can get too big, and then there's a lot of people sitting around with nothing to do. <laughs> so they're like, where do you find that like line? And it's like, you kind of, for me, I've always looked at it as how big do I actually want to get the company itself? And to me, it's always been one of those things where it seems like the sweet spot is big enough to have a comfortable life, but nothing excessive. And the people who work with me to have make them comfortable, but you get much bigger than that, and it starts to become a nightmare. It, it turns from like a lifestyle job where you can be comfortable, do what you want to do, create something that you believe in, work with people you like, make them successful. You, you, there's a line you can walk up to to that point, and you can get to a certain size. And I don't know when you cross that point. It's you know, but there will be a point where a lot of companies get there, and then they've crossed it, and now it becomes a hellhole. And I definitely never want to get to there. So right. people will sometimes say, how big do you want the network to get? And I'll say, as big as, as big as it needs to get so that way I can do it for a, for a living forever, live comfortably, and not be stressed out. And that's as big as I wanted to get. <laughs> so now, when you say big, are you, are you thinking... Are you thinking numbers? Like, I'm, not, there... just, I'm thinking big in terms of we have a staff that is, uh, we're able to afford... And uh, we have, uh, you know, a good long um, uh, uh, shot at running. You know, really, it just it doesn't need to be. I think it's I think in the this sounds so douchey, but I think in like the Internet economy, we have to kind of rescale how there's going to be a lot more of us. And there's a lot of people doing the same thing, just like an app. There's a lot of people making the same apps. And so. I think it's about building a company that can be profitable and but not have to be ginormous to support it, right? Don't you think it's kind of – I mean, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on fingertip tech? So I, I think it's an interesting question, right? Because people – they always say, well, do you want to get big? Well, what does big mean? Right, yeah. Right? Is big a function of you know revenue per year? Because you could have lots of revenue and make no money, right? <laughs> Or you could you could make tons and tons of money and have three clients, right? Uh, do you, does big mean profit per like Apple retail stores? You could say that they're big in terms of profit per employee per hour, right? Mm-hmm. I think each and I somebody could write in and correct my numbers here, but I heard a figure that was just astronomical to me. Every every year, Apple makes something like four hundred thousand dollars per junior salesman they have, and that's just retail sales. So we're not talking corporate sales here. We're talking retail, you know, eight bucks an hour sales. The uh, the other stat I've always heard uh, kind of tossed around is Apple has twice the sales per square foot of any, any, any other U.S. retailer, any other U.S. So Apple, Apple. Yeah. Uh, like that means they make more money like uh, 
Okay, so here we go. Uh, here, check this out. Uh, retail sales analyze the public filings and estimates from industry sources and sales figures for more than 200 American retailers. With the exception of Apple and Tiffany and Company, no other U.S. retailer exceeded 2,000 in sales per square foot. Of course, Apple did. Uh, Apple Store retails make 6000 in sales per square foot. Every square foot in an Apple Store makes $6,000. Uh, the Tiffany, you know, the diamond luxury retailer, Tiffany makes $3,000 per square foot. So Apple doubles what Tiffany jewelry makes per square foot. So that's big, if you ask me. Yeah, it's 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 super impressive, right? I mean... Just the thought about every time someone shows up to work at an Apple store, the company is basically guaranteed to make that money. I think when somebody says, because I get asked that question a lot too, like, how, you know, do you want Jupiter Broadcasting to get big? And it, they always say it like that. And it's like, well, what the hell does big mean? And I, I assume they mean in audience reach. And it's like, well, we're already pretty good size in audience reach, like, in terms of like a regional radio station and things like that. We're doing great. And so in some ways, I'm kind of comfortable with that. I would, of course, love to be bigger. I really, I, to me, big is, it's almost this cultural um, misalignment where everybody has to be a million-dollar CEO. Every company has to completely dominate the market if they're successful. When you go big, man, you're crushing it. You're crushing it. Well, how about a lifestyle business where me and a bunch of friends can live comfortably and happily Produce something we love. I, that's big to me. That's big. And if I had a software development company, I'd want as many clients as we could happily manage within reason. I'd want to make enough money for everybody to be happy, myself particularly, and I would want to have a good client base. And to me, that would be big enough. It doesn't have to be Google, right? When Google started out, if you read into the Plex, right, they from day one wanted Google to be a quote-unquote big company. They structured it intentionally to have a bureaucracy because they wanted to go big. I don't ever want to do anything like that. I like to keep it as lean and focused as possible. You know, like right now, tomorrow, I'm going to roll out a change in the Linux Unplugged show, right? And it's me oh, who approves boy. that, right? And I don't have to get approval from anyone. I don't even have to tell anybody that I'm doing it. I can just do it. And, and the thing is, is when it's my product that I'm making, I believe that direct level of control is absolutely critical to the product because it's my product. It represents me. And what I want created and what I want people to see. And if that was, if this got to a point where there was maybe th- two or three people between me and that kind of thing about the show, I think that would be a worse product. I think that would be getting big at the expense of the quality of the product. I don't want to name names, but there, oh. there are podcast networks out there where I think it's pretty obvious that's happened, right? And I All think, right. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me backpedal your hate train here. Though. I'm just saying. You answered, you know, big is like a buzzword, right? Yeah. It's meaningless. It gets me fired up, man. But you answered it with another buzzword. Uh-oh. Damn it. You said, I don't want to be big. I want to be lean. Uh-huh. That's like saying, I don't want to crush it. I want to rock. He's a jackass. <laughs> You're right. right. You got it's me. Kind of, it's kind of a, you know, you know <laughs> your mama's so fat kind of thing. It's like a bullshit yeah. thing. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So. Well, so, to uh, me, lean means like... Uh, you know, well, is, not, I've seen lean used to mean everything. Yeah, I, in my meaning of it is, uh, you know, just enough people to do what we need to do, not a whole bunch of extra middle management layer stuff. I think that's what I mean by lean. I, I don't mean to misrepresent the importance of middle management if you're middle management out there, everybody. But uh, I don't know. What does it mean to you? 
what's it lean would you say fingertip tech is lean right now i would say lean in that we're small right um but you know when i think about lean i think about lean manufacturing right okay you're coming at it from a totally different angle Right, the tradition, the more traditional. Let's talk about you know Toyota style business, right? So, are we following lean principles? I would say we're following some, but I, you know, some people will tell you that if you're not doing test first development, you're not lean. Okay. Well, then we're not lean, right? Because we we don't do 100% test first development, and we don't do 100% test coverage because that's kind of silly. Um. Some people will tell you if you have any kind of, you know, office space, you're not lean, right? You need oh, to be yeah. virtual. Yeah, you have to be virtual, sure. Well, then we're not lean. So I, I think there's a there's a real temptation to get into a uh, kind of in an argument over air, right? Hmm. So I just want to just right. I just want to bring it back to maybe firmer numbers here. You know, if you asked me, if I asked you, actually, you know, at what point is, uh, well, let me ask you this. If Jupiter Broadcasting had 30 shows, would would you be happy with that? Is that something, first of all, is that something you think that the business model, model for JB could sustain? Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any particular limit on or maximum either. I also transversely, not that I think it would ever happen, think the network in some scenarios could sustain with two shows, right? It just kind of depends. But if there were 30 shows that were good, there's just the problem is, is I don't know many places that have that many shows that but, are good. But, but that's exactly the point. If there are 30 shows that are good, and I think what happens is that as a company, and obviously as the person who owns the place, and this goes into your development practices too, you have to decide what is good, right? Right, yeah. For instance, there are plenty of developers who think that, you know, I'm a good developer if I use 100% test coverage. Never mind that the project was three months late. Um, Do you think, some, too, that as a company grows, that maybe more people come in that make a decision of, as to what qualifies as good? And you got to think, too, part of the problem is, like, it's it's flawed humans. Like, sometimes we have, like, an internal idea that just sounds so great and everybody's so excited about it and there becomes an echo chamber and you lose a little bit of that critical edge to your decision-making process. And what used to be good after the echo chamber effect maybe, you know, wouldn't have normally made it out, now makes it out. Perfect example, right? The TDD thing again. How For how long did we – I mean from the beginning of the show till probably six months ago, that was being droned on by tons of very, very famous developers, right? Mm-hmm. And overnight, that's kind of died. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, DHH came out saying, you're right, this is kind of crazy. (laughs) Um, I I guess I don't get it, right? I mean, the other thing is, you know, you and I are both, we're not in the Silicon Valley physical location, right? So I think we don't get affected by some of the buzzword crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely know. Both of our businesses, to my knowledge, are bootstrap businesses that actually generate revenue Mm -hmm. and support. Again, that's a huge difference between a business that has no business model and just a uh, you know huge angel investor, right? right? Nice, nice deep pockets. Right. But it changes the way you do things. I mean, think about again. Part of that whole lean thing is move fast and break things. Well, that's great if you you know and you can keep the doors open through enough iterations to not go bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's, I look at it, uh, obviously, for me, too. It's like I don't get too worked up on, like, trying to figure out, like, what does it all mean and, and what is the goal. And I, I focus more on, uh, you know, I take more of, like, a six-month to a year view. Like, I've got a 2014 plan. Beyond that, I've got goals I want to accomplish, but I don't – I find that so much changes in the business in just half a year. Uh, that I try not to get too worked up about anything too much further beyond that, that unless I need to track it for specific business reasons. So uh, I, I take it as a more of a wait-and-see approach. So I, could we have 30 shows one day? Sure. We might also have just two shows one day. Who knows? Like, you just you – know, 10 years. I mean, I, this is something I, I would love to have on – I would love to have the network on the air for 30 years or whatever. Like, but as long as right. I can stand here and not collapse, something like that. Hey, uh, speaking of keeping the network on the air. I just want to take a quick second right here and thank the awesome folks over at DigitalOcean. Do you know about DigitalOcean, dear audience? Because you need to. Let me tell you a little bit about it. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. There is a reason developers love DigitalOcean. You can create a cloud server in less than 55 seconds. Think about that. You can just provision yourself a cloud server that you have root access to in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That gets you 512 megabytes of RAM a 20-gigabyte SSD, one blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer connected to Tier 1 data centers all over the world, like New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, all of them managed by their incredible intuitive control panel, which has a very simple interface, yet extremely powerful, and power users can replicate it on a much larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API. they got a fantastic community that's got tutorials up there. You can go read DigitalOcean's also hiring. Here's what I recommend you do. Head over to DigitalOcean.com. Use our brand new promo code, CODERJULY. That's going to give you a $10 credit. You can try out that $5 rig for two months for absolutely free. Or if you need to do some testing and you want to test that on an actual production system up in the cloud connected to a great data center that you can have many people look at and bang on if you need to, why not try out their hourly pricing? And you can make an image snapshot and redeploy it as you need it and pay for the hourly usage, and you can use our promo code, Coder July to get a $10 credit. DigitalOcean has DNS management, snapshots, one-click installs of things like, an, things like the entire LAMP stack, or a WordPress installation, or GitLab, or all kinds of other great things. Just one-click installation away, and DigitalOcean is also super hip to Docker. So if you're creating your applications or their infrastructure, their backend in a Docker container, you are going to have no problem getting that up and working over at DigitalOcean.com. Go deploy a system right now. Get root access to a system connected to Tier 1 bandwidth with amazing hardware all over the Internet. It's a pretty awesome system. DigitalOcean.com and use our brand new promo code, CODERJULY, when you check out to get a $10 credit. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. I use that thing all the time now. Every single day. If if nothing else, I'm at least like syncing my files through it. It is so handy, and I can also use it for sanity checks. I run my also uh, my IRC client through it. I've got a test own cloud installation up there. <sighs> There's so many great uses. At $5 a month, it's one of the best values I get. So I really do recommend it. And so does Mr. Dominic. Uh, Mike, is there anything else you want to talk about on the management topic? Well, I guess I would put a call out there and actually just ask, what is the... Um you know, folks who've listened to the show and have gone full-on management, is that something you've regretted? Oh. Or has it been the kind of the change you wanted to take, right? I know, you know, in a lot of big organizations, if you don't go management, you're kind of 
done. They expect it of you. In fact, like right. during your reviews, like they, they try to coax it out of you. Like, don't you want to go management? Do you want to train up for a management position? I definitely, definitely felt that pressure. It's one of the reasons I went to contracting. Right. Now, some, some companies aren't like that. Well, they'll have a development path and a management path. But um, I would say those are still fairly rare, especially if we're talking about enterprises, right? You know, using with a capital E, like... Folks who might run Microsoft Server, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I would be really interested. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link. Have you gone from dev to management? How did it go? And do you wish you could jump on a time machine and go back, or are you happier now? Well, and it, how about this? Even if you have, did you go back? I mean, maybe you just quit and became a consultant. Right. Yeah, I, I, I bet I, I would be curious to hear if we hear a lot of, look, guys, it's not all or nothing. Like, I keep dabbling. Right. I stay I current. Bet there is. Yeah. We'll see. Hey, I just have one thing. I don't want to overreact about this, and I don't want to get super political about this. But um, I, there's a group out there that makes a, a pretty cool uh, set of applications. They're called uh, The company's called Yobra, and they make Shotwell. They make Geary. You know, we've talked about them before on the show. And uh, you wouldn't believe it. Well, maybe you would, actually. They got kind of caught up in the whole IRS scandal thing, and it turns out that the IRS is also scrutinizing... Uh, foundations that have like open source in the title. Uh, I hear they're using an Excel macro and VB script to do it. <laughs> a little search, word search. Uh, earlier this month, the Yobra Foundation received a formal notice from the Internal Revenue Service denying Yobra's 501c3 status. Uh, it's possible that this is nothing to be concerned with, of course, but reading their response, Yobra believes that their denial is actually some concern for free software groups within the United States. Here's what it says. There's a long post up on their site, but here's the details. What they find alarming are some of the statements made by the IRS in the denial letter. Here's the actual quote. You have a substantial non-exempt purpose because you develop software published under an open source compatible license that is authorized that is authorized use by any person for any purpose, including non-exempt purchase, uh, purposes such as commercial, recreational, or personal purposes, including campaigning, intervention, and lobbying. So because Yobra software like Shotwell and Geary might be used potentially by someone out in the world for commercial purposes, they are being denied tax-exempt status. The IRS reasons that Yobra's open-source software may be used for any purpose, so Yobra, therefore, is not a charity. Consider all the following non-profit and non-charitable ways the Apache server, for example, is used. I would still argue, though, that the Apache Foundation is a charitable organization. It's pretty alarming, So, and that's just something that developers should be aware of. It might not be anything, but it might be something yeah. that has to be watched. Yeah, that's, that, that's an interesting uh, Denial, stretch. huh? Yeah. It's a very interesting denial. I mean, basically saying, hey, look, if your open source software can be used by anyone for commercial purposes, sorry, not going to grant you uh, non-profit status. So that, that basically, well, non-copyleft software then is, is going to have a problem. I don't like that. No. I don't like that one bit. I feel bad for the Yobra guys because they've kind of had a couple of blows recently where things just haven't really gone their way. Uh, but they keep trucking on, so that's good. They also had an Indiegogo campaign that didn't work out for them. So if you want to read about that, there's a post on the uh, Gnome blog. The Gnome Foundation is a little concerned about this, as you might imagine. Uh, oh, sure. So they're sort of raising the uh, red flag on this. And it's a pretty active post. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. As well. Do you mind if I just cover a couple of bits of business before we head out of here? Is there anything else you want to cover? Okay. I think we're good for this time. Uh, If you'd like to help give us some uh, ideas, topic suggestions, coderadio.reddit.com. Coderadio.reddit.com is where you can submit stories. You can vote on things to give us a sense of the type of 
discussional items you'd like to have covered in the show. You can also leave comments for any stories to give your insights. We'll consider those. It's also a great place to leave feedback. We post every single episode over at coderadio.reddit.com, and you can just uh, uh, comment right there. But you can also send us an email. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and choose Coder Radio from the drop-down. And don't forget, you can always join us live. We do this show Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, over at jblive.tv. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted in your local time. And uh, I would recommend, I don't know about you, Mike, but maybe we should recommend folks check out uh, Fingertip Tech. What do you think? Why not? Go to fingertip.technology. What about the Twitters? I mean, come on, don't you use social networking? At Fingertip Tech on Twitter? Is that how you say that? Probably. Probably. Probably on Google Plus, too, huh? Yes. Yeah. Posting yeah. these days, too, as a matter of fact, from time to time, even. Just just a little. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I thought that was a ghost town, so you can find them on there. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash Chris Elias. That's actually probably the easiest way to find out when we're live, because I always tw- try to tweet it out. I don't always, but like 99% of the time. So if you follow me on Twitter, you find it about this show, you find out about releases, any network updates, all that kind of stuff. And we also try to keep the calendar posted. And don't forget, you can also join us in the chat room to help title the show, which is good times. Everybody loves that. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>